should we stand? Should we sit? And I said sit. And Stuart, the president's behind her, says stand. So she has no chance. I realized that some people were coming in late, and it might be hard to, to find a seat. So that was it's not that I'm against standing, okay, um, at all. Um, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about faith, hope, and love as markers of health in the life of every church. And it's one of the things that um, uh, God tells us, and the Apostle Paul used as, as he looked at it, is this church healthy? And, and as you read the New Testament, oftentimes he will focus on one area where that church may be weak. Now, I don't want to suggest that these are the only areas. There are probably lots of other things. There, are, uh, there can be outreach. There is uh, the way that they cared. It was the generosity. But it seemed like again and again he came back to faith, hope, and love. And so this week I want to follow up on what Phil said last week and continue to talk about hope. Um, and, and hope is really a preferred, is our preferred vision of the, of the future is what our hope is in. What, what do you want in the future? That's what you're hoping for. And what are you thinking and expecting uh, and desiring? That's the future. Um, if you've set up a retirement fund that uh, is apart from whatever the government puts away from you, you are looking into the future and you're saying, I think I'm going to have a need. And so you're putting away now what you need for the future. That's the way hope works. It looks forward and decides, how do I live now in light of what I believe is coming? And everyone, everyone lives off of hope. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> You know, I was telling Alan that today, uh, the, the great thing about today with the music upstairs is we're going to talk about a little bit of what heaven is going to be like and the joy around the throne. And it's been piped in today for us, so we get, a, we get to experience it. So, all right, back to whatever I was going to say. Um, hope is, is essential in life. Without hope, you either move towards depression or death. I, I don't know if you know this, but there's a high percentage of people who die within the first year of their retirement. They stop work. They don't know what in the world I'm, I'm supposed to do, I want to do, I should do. And, and there's a large percentage of people who die that first year because they've lost a sense of why am I here. Their whole purpose, working, is gone. There's also a very high percentage of people who, if their spouse dies within a year, they'll die as well. There's lots of different reasons for that, but one of the big reasons is hope. They lose hope. Without hope, we can't live. Without a sense of what the future can bring, we will either die or be depressed. Hope is essential for life. And so I have a few questions for you to think about as we talk about hope and the kind of hope that God offers to people, offers to us. The first question is this. What do you hope for? What do you hope for? You know, it's not, it's, it, hopefully it's nice to hear a sermon and to hear different things that God says, but, you know, until it interacts with where I'm really at and what I'm really thinking about, it's just about, hopefully, only 30 minutes of words and ideas, and you can move on. But until you ask yourself, what am I hoping in? What am I hoping for? Nothing will change. What is the future that you're spending your time, your energy, your effort, your thoughts, your money on now so that you can have in the future. That's your hope. And the same for me. That's my hope. Second question is this. Can what you hope for, once you figure out what you're really hoping for, can what you hope for withstand the realities of life? Can it withstand the fact that you're probably going to lose almost everything? In fact, you will lose everything you have physically. 
materially at some point someone else will have or it'll fall apart or it'll break. Can your hope live with the fact that whoever you attach yourself to and your heart to as a person will at some point no longer be on the face of the earth or you won't be here? That that relationship will be broken. When the realities of life and death hit us, will all of our hopes fall to pieces? Because all of our hopes were here and now. You know, for a lot of people in this financial crisis, a lot of their hopes have been dashed. Because they had planned to put money away and they had ideas of what was going to happen and they could retire and be comfortable and now all that's lost. And there's a great sense of nervousness and fear about the future. Historically, our hopes as a, as a people are much higher than, if you think about it, even 50 or 100 years ago, people's hopes were. You know, when my grandparents um, had one of, uh, I think it was a, a son that was born to my grandmother, Grandmother Crosby, uh, that son died. Now, they were very sad. But you know what? That was normal in their day. If you had, if all of your ch- killed children lived to adulthood, that was surprising. In our day, we just don't expect that. Everyone, of course, lives. We don't expect tragedy. You know, 100 years ago, people died from all kinds of diseases we consider now as curable that were just natural, part of the natural brokenness of life. Thousands of women died in childbirth. What we now look back and say that should never happen and rarely does happen now. Happened all the time. Our hopes are incredibly high. Right or wrong, they're up there. But God offers us real hope of a certain future that nothing can stop, even death, even loss, even pain. And the question really for us is, is that the hope we're grasping onto? Or are we grasping on the hope that is like sand that will slowly go through our fingers that we can't hold on to? One of the great places where God's hope and what God says we should hope in is on display is in the book of Revelation. It has a huge amount to say about hope and about people's hopes being lost and what you can ultimately put your hope in. But it is, for many people, an incredibly intimidating book or incredibly exciting book, you know, depending on who you are or just maybe one of those books, I just don't read it because it confuses me. Um, So I'm going to give you some different ways, very briefly, that you can look at the book of Revelation. I'm obviously going to suggest one way, and that's what we're going to do. Frank read the passage, but, you know, you can read the book of Revelation or any book of the Bible in in a concrete way. And what I mean by that is when Jesus is portrayed as the lamb um, that, has, that looks as if he had been slaughtered, standing, again, alive. You can imagine that one day when I get to heaven, when this scene happens and I'm watching, that Jesus will be a lamb who will have blood on him, who will probably have a slit someplace where he's been cut, and yet the Jesus will be a lamb who stands there, and Jesus will physically be a lamb. That's concrete thinking. That, that what, it's like a photo that Revelation is giving us a a set of photos that we go, that's exactly what will happen. And some people look at the book that way. Other people take the book this way, and the images in it, um, and much of the Bible as well. They think of it like a fairy tale. They're nice stories, and they have great points. There's wonderful morals in these stories, but it's not real. You don't expect this to be historical. It doesn't really have a a one-to-one connection with reality. But just get the story, get the fairy tale, get get the idea behind it and and live that way, and that's what really matters. But I think there's another way that I think, especially in a book like Revelation, in which there are these very strange images, 
that I don't think the author intended to take in a concrete way or as a fairy tale. And that's this, is to see the images, for example, of the slaughtered lamb upon the throne as equaling Jesus who died for our sins and who is now raised. It takes the images of the lamb, who is Jesus, slaughtered, who gave his life so that others might have it, on the throne, the one who rules over. See, those images all reflect an idea that are supposed to make us think, that are supposed to draw out emotions of us, and that are supposed to give a response. Not just a, well, isn't that interesting? But, oh my goodness, he is Lord. Oh my goodness, he is the one who has given his life. Oh my goodness, the lamb who should not have been slaughtered, who was innocent and pure, and I'm not. That's the image and the idea. And I also want us not to forget the context of the book of Revelation. It was written originally to Christians who, in general, had a very, very, very hard life. If they had enough food for the day and shelter, they were doing really well. That oftentimes famines would sweep through and, and they would lose children and they would have diseases and all kinds of things that would happen to them. So if everything was just like, okay, just the normal deaths in life were happening, they were doing really well. Their life was much, much harder than ours. And for Christians especially, their life, because they chose to follow Christ, their life was different. And they were treated as different people. They were excluded and ultimately persecuted because of their faith. And the Apostle John is telling us in this book that life is about to get a lot harder for them. Greater persecution and even death. The things that they had and they wanted to hold on to were going to be lost. Sorry. Sorry. Every once in a while I just have to acknowledge that we're all listening to that, right? So, okay. Come on back now. So... Um, There's nothing like loss, there's nothing like defeat, there's nothing like adversity in a crisis to reveal whether what you're hoping in is really solid or not, is there? I mean, you you have all kinds of hopes, and I have hopes, but then sometime in life we realize, you know, that hope will never become a reality, or what I did have I am losing, and we realize, I can't put my hope in that. It can't hold my hope. It can't hold me up. But I think... Revelation tells us some of the things that can hold us up. The hopes that we can look beyond here and now into the future that give us hope as we live through loss and pain and suffering and even death. The first one is this, is, is the image in verse 10, between really, is, it, is the image of God's rescue, which is really contrasted between the idea that we rescue ourselves. Let me read it to you uh, again. It says this. It says, And they were all shouting with a mighty shout. And and here you need to imagine a group of people that if you, as you're in it, you look behind you, you can't see the end of it. You look beyond you, you can't see the end of it. Everywhere you are, there's this huge group of people, and they are all shouting with great joy and rejoicing and excitement. And they are saying this, Salvation comes from our God who sits upon the throne and from the Lamb. Rescue comes from God. Not from me, not from you, not from us. Rescue, the rescue that we ultimately need and desire, we cannot do ourselves. That rescue, that rescue comes from God. And it's the contrast that we see around us all the time. 
We go to great lengths to put ourselves in this life in a place in which, by the way, we don't need to be rescued. Don't we? Don't we plan our days and our agenda and our plans for the future in such a way that we can say, don't, I've got it all covered. Don't worry, God, if I need you, I'll call you. But i really, I got everything taken care of. So you don't have to worry. And the, the, the downside of that, the negative of that is, is this. You miss the incredible privilege of having God rescue you. Because you don't need Him. And the greatest thing that will happen in your life and my life is those moments when God comes in, in ways that are very intimate and personal and powerful that we know He's there and He rescues us. And we say, God lives. He's real. This is life. Now, I, 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 want to, I don't want to suggest that you walk out of here and say, let me see how much trouble I can get into, okay? That's not the plan. That's not the goal. But the reality is of, in life as we step out and trust God just in normal ways, we will put ourselves in situations which we have to trust God and which at times He will have to rescue us. That is the life He has called us to, and He says He will do that. You know, I would not be surprised when we get to heaven is if part of what happens in this throng of people is we're turning and we're talking to people, and you know what's going to be the conversation? The conversation is going to be about the ways that God rescued us. The times in our life, a hundred, ten, a thousand, a million times, in which God rescued us and, and, and took care of us, and we're going to be telling stories. And, and I, I have a question for you. Which person do you want to be in that, in that group? Do you want to be the person who's got three stories of God's rescue? And after your stories, you kind of go, I guess I'll just listen to you guys. Mm-hmm. Or do you want to be that person who could go on day after day after day because you did actively live in such a way that you needed God to rescue, to come into your life, to lead you, to save you? On this end of life, it may look like, well, no, the goal of life is to live so we don't need God to step in because He's busy. On that side of life, the great celebration will be about salvation. Rescue belongs to God. He did it. We celebrate Him because we have experienced Him. And that celebration will be even greater because we are experiencing both in the past, but then in the present. The second thing I think that gives us real hope about the future is this, is we're going to have someone to praise and to enjoy in the future. One who now gives us hope. Verses 11 and 12 uh, talk about this. It says this, it says, And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living beings, and they all fell before the throne, their faces to the ground, and they worshipped God. And they said, Amen. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. This isn't forced praise. They're not just saying, you know, I walked in like today and someone gave me a song sheet. So this is, I think we'll just sing this. You know, move on from that. No, 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 no. This is, you can't keep these people from talking. You can't keep these people from praising. They're excited. They're thrilled. To be before God and to celebrate is the high point of their existence. It's what they want to do. Some people think that heaven's going to be so boring because there'll be, people will be praising God and that's what it'll be about. You know what? That's why heaven will be so exciting. Let me give you an illustration just maybe to give you a feel for this. Um, I don't know how, how much you know baseball, so it's a dangerous illustration. But think of it as cricket, but gone wrong, okay, if you know cricket. Um, but I was at a Cubs baseball game, which is Cubs is in Chicago. And uh, it was a pretty boring game. 
um, and and uh, no score. And then the Cubs, towards the end of the game, got a couple people on base. And then their best hitter, Sammy Sosa, came up. And Sammy's the home run hitter. He's also the guy that took steroids, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, beyond that, Sammy gets up and the whole, every, the whole crowd stands up. And everybody in that stadium is thinking, if Sammy just hits a home run, the game is over. I mean, there's no, they're, they're going to come back. So everybody's standing up, and they're clapping, and there's this great sense of excitement. And the pitcher knows it. If, you know, the batter knows it. Sammy knows it. Next thing you know, the pitcher pitches the ball over. Sammy takes a swing, and that ball just goes like this. And it ended up in, um, in New York City. It was amazing. Okay, it stopped a little bit before New York City. But it was that kind of hit. And the crowd... The crowd went nuts. I mean, they're jumping up and they're high-fiving people they've never seen or talked to or don't know. But the, everybody celebrated this amazing moment that we all got to be a part of. And now I know why people sit through baseball games when nothing happens for that moment. For that moment. That is a small taste of what it will be like around the throne. The greatest thrill that maybe you've encountered. Maybe you're a, a football fan. I don't mean, you know, this kind of football. I mean this kind of football <laughs> fan, you know, um, with the feet. Feet, the real football, football with the feet. And, and your, your team, when it wins the champion, if you, championship, if you were there and everyone's chanting and singing and jumping and going wild, and that's your moment, that's what it would be like, but better. And you know what? Everyone longs to be in that situation. Nobody says, oh yeah, I had to go to the stadium and cheer for my team and celebrate. No, you can't. I got to be there. And if you didn't get to be there, oh, I missed it. That's what's going to happen. You and I love to praise. We love to celebrate. We long to be in that place. People buy season's tickets for the Cubs, you know, for the whole year in hopes of that one day of actually being there. And God says, this is what I offer you forever and ever and ever. It won't, get, it won't get dull. It won't get boring. Our hearts long to praise someone who is praiseworthy. You know, everybody was talking how great Sammy Sosa was that day. And guess what? Around the throne, everyone will be saying how great God is. Not because they have to, but because they feel it. They know it. They sense it. That's the hope that we have that God gives to us. The last thing is that God gives us a lot of different things that are tangible hopes. Can you imagine a future, a future that is so good that the worst that the world can give us in this present, either in terms of our sin or the results of our sin or the mistakes of others, all fade away in comparison to the greatness of that moment? Perspective makes a huge difference. You know, if you think that, all, that this life for the next 80 years or 70 years, or if you, some of you make it to 90 years, that's all you get, and so you have to get everything you possibly can right now, you know what, then you're going to say, well, I'm sorry, but you're younger than me, so I need to get mine right now. You're, you're going you're gonna to grab and take, and, and if you need to, some are going to cheat, which they do, to get everything they can now because this is all there is. But you know what? For the Christian, God says, no, 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 this is not all it is. And by the way, this isn't the best part. This isn't the best part that you're experiencing. That best part is coming. It's tangible. In verse 15, it says that for the people who've gone through this great tribulation, who have identified with Christ even to the point of death, that God says to them, says, you come, I've got work for you. I've got meaningful, satisfying work for you that you get to do for eternity. You get to, to work with me in all the things that I'm doing forever and ever. And so you know what that means for you here and now? 
Let's say you don't really like your job all that much. It pays the bills, but you don't really like it. It's okay. Because at most, you're going to work 40, 45 years here. But if you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, for all of eternity, you're going to have your dream job. Working for the best boss. Doing the things that you've always longed to do. You have that to look forward to. So you can work through the pain and the difficulty and and not being appreciated by other people, maybe in your work. Because your perspective is someplace else. Maybe you don't have the house that you've always hoped for, you've always wanted. But the one on the throne says to these people, I will give you a shelter. I will make sure that you have a place that's suitable to what you need. You know, for us, that may not be a big deal. But for them, it was because a lot of people didn't have very good shelter. God says, you know, no, no more rental payments. Uh, no more mortgage payments. <laughs> Thank God. No more repair bills. You know, all that's taken care of. I will provide for you what you need. He talks about, I will provide for them. You will no longer hunger. You will no longer thirst. Again, most of us don't have that problem. We're hungry. We go get something to eat. If we're thirsty, we get something to drink. But in that culture, in that time, to those people, that was a real issue. And so God, I think, to us is saying this. I will take care of you. I will satisfy your needs. You will never have a want again. Psalm 23 has this beautiful saying, and it talks about God preparing a meal, a banquet, for us to enjoy in front of our enemies. You know, God will provide, but in that case, He provides in such a way that others who who didn't believe in Him, others who disagreed with, with our sense of following God, will look on and see that God did really favor us and love us and care for us and will provide for us. There will be a sense of vindication. Not, not a sense of judgment on them, but a sense of vindication that what we believed was true. In their day, the climate could often, you know, kill you. If you sat out in the sun for too long, throughout the whole day, you could die. Not really an issue in Luxembourg, I don't think. Unless, you know, it could be that so much water, you know, you actually explode from retention or whatever. But, but the point is this. Uh, the point is this, that... Um, God will provide all that we need for our protection. And that day, no matter what befalls us, no matter what pain happens now, we'll be totally protected for eternity by the God who is on the throne. And lastly, in this list of very tangible things, it says in verse 17, Jesus will be your shepherd. He'll be your companion. He'll be the source of your life and of all that you need. And He will intimately heal the hurts of your heart. The places of pain that maybe no one else sees. It says he will wipe away every tear. What you and I long for in this life, but will, even if we achieve for a moment, we'll never be able to keep, God provides that he will give us forever. Rescue. Provision. Meaningful work. Intimacy with him and with others. A wonderful life that is enhanced And allows us to enjoy everything. A life that allows us to enjoy someone who is worth celebrating and rejoicing over. Someone who knows and heals all of our heartaches. That is the future that we can look forward to. That is the future that God has promised to those who embrace the rescue that comes through Jesus Christ. Who come and say, I need the forgiveness that Jesus gave his life for. And that is the future that you can get now and that can lead you through the worst that life can throw at you. 
so that even when death comes to you or to those that you love, you can look above it and say, yes, but there's hope. This is not all there is. There is so much more. And you know what? It's so great and so wonderful, and it cannot be stopped. That's the beauty of it, you know? Because so many of our hopes and plans fall apart. But you know what God says? You know, the hope that is coming, the future is coming. You can't stop it. Nobody can stop it. It is coming. So our hearts can rejoice in it. You know how to discern the hope that you're putting your trust in? If it's worth it? Is when you ask yourself, will that thing that I want satisfy me from head to toe? Will it satisfy me every moment of my life? Or will it be one of those wonderful, nice things like maybe a new car that I enjoyed at first and was wonderful, but over time, it just became a car? So many of the things that we hold on to in our life, whether it be success, whether it be material things or people or achievements, their greatness fades. And we realize it wasn't worth our time, our energy, and our hope. But whatever we hope in, whether it's the right things or the heavenly things or not, that's where our heart is. That's where the things we long for. That is the things we will fight for. I think God says to us, enjoy this life. I gave it to you as a wonderful gift, but don't put all of your hopes here. Because that's to make the biggest mistake of all. Someday, those things, most of them will be lost, but I have much greater and more wonderful things for to come. Wait, watch, believe. You know, today I think you and I walked in with what I would call an imaginary bag of hopes. You know, nobody can see it but us, but a bag of, of hopes and dreams and desires that we walked in with that, that, that nobody necessarily knows about. Maybe our spouse or those close to us watch us wrestle the things that we hope for. And maybe today it's time to look in that bag and find out what's really there. Are there any of the hopes of heaven in your bag? Or maybe, yeah, they are, but maybe you're kind of like me. They're in there, but they're way down at the bottom underneath a whole bunch of those other hopes, and they're kind of squished and squashed, and I haven't looked at them for a while. Maybe it's time to pull those out or to read this passage again and to say, you know what, I want these to be the hopes that are accessible to my heart, even as I long for good health, good relationships, you know, enjoyable life. But even if that doesn't come to me, I have far greater hopes They can't be stopped because God has provided wonderful things for me. Let me read this passage in closing to you from Romans 5. The Apostle Paul is talking to a church about these things. And he speaks to them and he says, Therefore we have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserving privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know, uh, for we know, uh, oops, sorry, lost it. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us His Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. 
His hope doesn't disappoint. It will come through. And it is worthy of us giving all of our heart and hanging on to it until it arrives. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we come to you as people that first need to confess that so many of our hopes and desires are stationed right here. And so many of the frustrations that we experience are because we are hoping too much in what this life can give us and hoping too little in what you have promised no matter what happens in this life. Lord, help us to reorient and to think about the things of heaven, the promises that you have, the fact that whatever we are don't have in this world, that you will give us far more, plus your presence intimately coming to us and looking into our heart and seeing the hurts and wiping away with love and intimacy the tears until they are gone and only joy is left. Help us do that individually. Help us do that as a community so that we can reflect you and be the people that you have called us to be, even with our brokenness, even with our sin. Heal us, restore us, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.